You need to embrace capitalism. It is this hope which is the lever of progress. My favorite Fed. To keep one's reactions warm and true. They attack us because we're over there. Is to have found the secret of perpetual youth. Man, you're too pretty to be a libertarian. And perpetual youth is salvation. Salutations, Sastackers, and Ken, you are listening to a boy named Sue. That is Mr. Suit, you, a.k.a. Phil Gibson. And do I have an episode for you? It's a special episode. It is with Guy Swan. Guy Swan, the voice of Bitcoin, host of the Bitcoin Audible podcast. And John Carvalho, entrepreneur in the Bitcoin space, has been in the space for quite some time. CEO of Synonym, formerly BitRefill. Not CEO, BitRefill. Formerly worked at BitRefill. And... We had a little sit down about a little BIP. If you're not familiar with what a BIP is, it is a Bitcoin improvement proposal. And this is how uh, different solutions, uh, updates to Bitcoin are made through consensus. And I'm not going to get into the history of it and like soft forks or whatever. But there's a BIP out there proposed by Mr. Jeremy Rubin who has been very, very, very um, informative and generous of his time that he's given on Spaces to talk about his BIP. BIP is called OpCTV. It is a soft fork, not a hard fork. And it is to create covenants and vaults and just like updates and where you spend your Bitcoin and how you can program the transactions. And no, on the surface, the code itself doesn't look like it's going to hurt nothing. But what doesn't get taken into consideration, or at least not as much as it should have until today, today's episode, is the consequences, the game theory, and what consequences comes with that once this code is out and a part of Bitcoin, if it ever does. Now, the speedy trial was turned off, and that's a good thing. We don't want to rush things in Bitcoin. We want to maintain the Ron Paul Dr. No-ness of what you do to Layer 1. But me, John, and Guy just talk it over. I ask some questions. What this thing is. Why does it matter? All that, all that jazz. And Guy hopefully wins the bounty. <laughs> There's a bug bounty for five and a half Bitcoin anyone can find a bug in this code for Opsy TV. But I say he wins the bounty because he has this theory of uh, block debt, if you will. We'll get into it. I don't want to say too much and spoil it. So before we get into things, get yourself a Bitbox, the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto, and protect your coins. Because one of the best things to Make sure that your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin and you instill the the principles of what Bitcoin is and why it's so important is taking self-custody, being your own bank, not having to trust a counterparty. The only person you have to trust is yourself because with great power comes great responsibility. You've heard it all before, but the best way to do that 
is you get some cold storage. A cold device. That's going to be Shift Crypto's Bitbox O2. It's sleek, it's sexy, it's it's sound. It's solid. All that. It's 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 our our boy Luke's favorite sexy hardware wallet device. <laughs> Go pick one up. Um, Bitcoin made simple. It's a promo code. All caps, no spaces. Get yourself five percent off. And tell them Phil sent you. And without further ado, I I'll, I'm just gonna stop my yap. And have you guys enjoyed this conversation? Because I certainly did. I think I hope. It adds a lot of value to the discussion because one of the issues is that plebs don't care to look into the code or what this thing is, and we let our emotions get the best of us. I'm guilty of this. I think some of that showed in this episode, but it doesn't matter because it shows that I care at least, and I'm here asking the quiet parts out loud, saying the quiet parts out loud by asking these hard questions. So... Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of A Boy Named Sue on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network, and sit back, relax, and listen to myself, Guy Swan, and John Carvalho discuss BIP 119, or 11.9, really is BIP 119, but I call it 11.9, not to be confused with 9.11, or 911 truth, but we are getting to the bottom of BIP 119 truth. <laughs> anyway, enjoy this conversation. Hope you learned something. And if you do like this, please make sure to share it with a friend, relative, stranger, whatever, and get the show out because Bitcoin Made Simple, that's what our mission is to make Bitcoin simple and bring the hard hitting issues of Bitcoin into your ear holes. So here it is. Here's the episode. See you on the other side. I'm trying to get. Um, Oh, all right. Trying to get my Carvalho stickers up in here. We are live. We are live. Nice. And just make sure everything is good to go. Corey, have you uh, tweeted the link out yet? Or if you want to put that in the Telegram, I can get that out real quick. Uh, Yeah, just a minute here. I'll send it over. How did I turn into like a producer Holy of the shit. podcast? Well, you're running a <laughs> podcast <laughs> network, dude. So, uh, my god, kind of part of the no cat come back, you bitch. All right, well, we are live at the moment, we're recording. Let's just go with it. We'll be loosey goosey but serious. And yeah, salutations, set stackers, and kin. You are listening to a boy named Sue, that is Mr. Sue to you on the. Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Today is May 5th, 2022. The world is in chaos. The Dow is down a thousand points and the credit crisis is here. May the 4th was with Jerome Powell. And yeah, amidst all that chaos, we are here talking about BIP 11.9. I will call it BIP 11.9. Not 119. It's 11.9. <laughs> I was actually in that spaces chat when 11.9 was birthed. So I, uh, I'm i just going to stick with that. All right, cool. And let me just make sure all of our T's are crossed and, and our I's are dotted. Corey, is that link in the Telegram? Sir? Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Perfect. Let me see. 
Well, while I'm getting my stuff together, we have Guy Swan of the Bitcoin Audible podcast. Yo, if you yo. don't know who Guy is and you are, you're just taking crazy pills. Guy, how are you doing? What are you about? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm all about I'm all about Bitcoin and reading things. I'm the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Damn right. And uh, I think I'm actually going to, just because we're talking about 119 uh, or CTV right now, and because it's been on my mind, and my brother actually just kind of started a little thread on Twitter about the thing that me and him were talking about. Um, that'll probably be today's episode. I think I'm just going to kind of detail out the the way I think CTV from the scaling perspective, I'm not to get ahead of the show here, but um, uh, could be kind of used maliciously um, or not maliciously used intelligently, but have negative effects um, because I feel like that's part of it. I'm sure that will, this will come up and I'm sure John um, is kind of in the same boat is that it kind of feels like this is kind of come out of nowhere and we haven't properly talked about, I don't know, like it, like it just feels rushed, um, but uh, there's a there's a kind of interesting perspective that I think um, is worth is worth bringing up. So I'll probably cover that in an episode today. But there's still there's still plenty to dig into with CTV and just the idea of commitments. Um, but I'll be covering that. And then there's a uh, Swan Bitcoin just had a really great article. Uh, Sam Callahan wrote it. I think it came out yesterday. Somebody tagged me in it. And I read it last night. Um, but I'm already halfway through the recording on that one. Um, but, uh, that one's really good. It's about just the current global payments, payments networks and what their problems are. And honestly, like when you really understand how the payment networks work, fundamentally, there's no way that they could ever, they could ever be better. But like, like it's almost fundamentally necessary that lightning and Bitcoin are going to beat them because of some of the reasons the, system as is has so many problems has so many delays and has so many fees um it's kind of inherent to the idea that the money itself is a liability like everything is a fulfillment of credit um so uh, it, it it's really interesting but it's a sam callahan wrote a, a phenomenal article and i'm sure it's going to have a a hell of a little guy's rant after it because it just makes you realize that there is no way for this thing not to grow fucking massively even if all it does is move fiat. <laughs> Literally, if that's all Bitcoin and Lightning did was settle fiat, it still, it still deserves to be a $10 trillion market cap, in my opinion. Um, but I think when you, when you get into that, that uh, era of where it's that size in order to move fiat, it becomes redundant. Like, like you're, you're wasting it. Like it, it's going to increasingly become the more stable and more reliable mechanism and store of value because it's not political. Um, but anyway, yeah. Those well, it's are, funny those you say that because uh, entire episodes of themselves. So yeah, it's, it's funny you say that guy, because this episode in particular that uh, we are recording right now live is pretty political when it comes to Bitcoin itself and consensus. And I think that's a nice little segue into introducing our next jet guest, guest, John Carvalho. How you doing, man? What are you all about? Um, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, yeah, I guess I've been causing some waves about, you know, software concepts and CTV and all this stuff. 
BIPA 119. Um, <laughs> I don't know what, what political honestly means anymore. So I don't know if that's how I would describe it as political so much as I think that um, my whole message around all this is trying to use it as a platform for educating people about, you know, how reputation and trust are always a part of like everything social. And that includes Bitcoin consensus and, you know, changing Bitcoin and all these things. Like it's just nonsense to basically assume that there's any sort of majority or common desire or demand for really any Bitcoin change. And that for a long time, we've kind of really leaned on and trusted, you know, I guess, quote unquote, core developers way too much. And it's become like a culture where people think now that they can just, you know, if, if they if they do the right dance and click their heels the right amount of times that they can get their changes into Bitcoin. And that's a very dangerous thing to think that we can just like invent features and start just piling on you know, speculative uh, things into Bitcoin that real ultimately have a cost. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I love what you, you wrote in your letter to Jeremy, how all of this is really kind of based on market demand. And that market demand is, of course, comprised of, I guess, the trifecta or branches of Bitcoin governance, as cringy as it feels to say that, but you have the node runners or clubs, I guess, and then you have miners and then you have developers and similar, I, well, not similar, but like with Taproot, everyone kind of understood the benefits of what it was and everything. Whereas this thing, and we'll get into what exactly op CTV is, but it's just kind of like murky and uh, it's all kind of just really driven by what is this thing? Do we need it? What does it do for me? How do I benefit? And let's just start there. So what is Opsi TV? And I want to, I want to respond to something really quick. And go that, for it. Like, I think another dimension that I would say is a little bit different than how you portray it is like you mentioned it as a trifecta and it took us a long time to educate Bitcoiners that like miners don't actually decide things. And I think it's time for them now to learn that developers don't decide either. Like, I don't see it as three columns of Bitcoin governance. I think there's no such thing as governance in Bitcoin and that governance is never something you would want to add to Bitcoin. I think there is literally perpetual consensus for the Bitcoin we have right now. And then there are attackers. And so I have this article called Who Secures Bitcoin? It's very easy to Google it if you want to find it, but it very simply describes, you know, the dynamics at play here. And I just think that the default view for when somebody wants to change Bitcoin, whether it be a miner or a developer, they are sitting outside of consensus at, from the start and they're best viewed first as an attack because there isn't really any good way to distinguish an attacker from a benevolent you know, changer, especially if nobody was asking for the change. And so if it's always speculative change, like you have to assume that they're either going to attack or, or inadvertently cause a problem is that's the risk that you're willing to assume because you didn't ask for this change in the first place. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I hope that the result of all these debates is to delete the concept of this trifecta of governance and go back and revert to that. Ultimately, I am the person like 
I as in each one of us that decides what Bitcoin is by running my node and I decide what the rules are. And if um, there's a code proposed that is to change the code, I can sit there and just keep running my node exactly the way it is and do nothing if I am happy with the way Bitcoin is. I only need to quote unquote upgrade, which is a, is a misnomer also, my node if it has something that I want inside of that upgrade. Well, sir. sorry for the rant. No, no. Well said. <laughs> that that's all this conversation is really, but hopefully a coherent rant with a co- cohesive message. So yeah, let's start. Let's start with the question: What is Opsi TV? What are I guess the mechanics behind it, and why does it matter? Why would we need it? So let's just start with like what it is first. So I don't know, if, John, you want to take that first, or or Guy, but for y'all. Guy is smarter than me when it comes to these things, so please, Guy. <laughs> so okay. Guy, in a explain like I'm five. What is Opsi TV? Okay, so I actually just pulled up the Bitcoin Optech. Like, what is the definition? And I'll read just kind of the first two uh, sentences and then hopefully explain it in simpler terms. So CTV is a proposed new opcode that takes a commitment hash as a parameter and requires any transaction executing the opcode to include a set of outputs that match the commitment. So this is a fancy way of saying that as part of, you know, the only reason a UTXO can be unlocked is because you have a valid signature, right? And usually what that valid signature is, is uh, it fulfills a script and you prove you have a private key. Um, now within that script, you can basically lay out potential paths that this UTXO is allowed to go to. Like, like let's say, you know, normally there's, there's no exit door. Like a UTXO, as long as you fulfill the proof that you have the private key, um, it's yours, right? You can just unlock it and you can send it anywhere and do whatever you want with it. This allows you to commit to a specific thing that you would do with this transaction, with this UTXO. So I can explicitly say, um, as long as you, uh, uh, or as long as I, because I'm, I'm generating it on my own address, so as long as I prove I have the private key and I am sending it to this explicit address, then I can unlock these coins and send them there. But I'm basically making that commitment that it has to go to this specific address. And it's actually really handy, like this type of thing of a commitment of some other data is actually really useful for a lot of different reasons. Is one, you can basically, quote unquote, hide a lightning channel within a UTXO by making it so that the only thing that you can do with these coins is open a channel with them, but you can actually not open the channel. But because it's the only thing that UTXO can do, you can essentially treat it as if that channel already exists. And you can aggregate data, which a lot of people are saying is really positive and this is a super important thing. I'm increasingly wondering if that's really something we want. We'll get into that in a minute. but, uh, but then there's like a couple of other like really interesting mechanisms like vaults and covenants, the ability to uh, essentially, you know, build out like in a way like a financial product, like a trust or something where you can uh, more easily and with less interactivity where you have to constantly request like people and like keys that are online to sign and exchange data where normal multi-sig can 
a lot of times take a lot of interaction. CTV makes it much simpler. Like I can just give over. This is what I want to be in the commitment. And then I can leave and be offline and we can build a transaction with other people. And nobody even ever, ever has to be online at the same time. We can all give our commitments. Then they put it in. I can prove my commitment is there. So that's handy. It kind of simplifies that mechanism. Uh, so joint ownership could be better. Um, and, uh, and then in addition, like vaults and the idea of like an annuity, something that pays out over time, I can basically stipulate ahead of time when I'm generating an address exactly how I want a, you know, one Bitcoin to be paid out or to be accessible over a certain span of time. Now there's a lot of questions, you know, I can also do that with time locks and a taproot tree. So it's, I'm, I'm wondering how necessary it is, but I'm, I'm certainly not saying there aren't benefits. There's a lot of interesting things you can do with it. And there's a lot of different proposals with variations on this thing. Uh, but I, I guess if I wanted to simplify it down, it's the ability to commit to explicit data that you have to write into the next transaction in order to redeem it outside of just saying I have the private key and I've fulfilled these other opcodes. It just kind of gives a, a, a broader way of stipulating. I think there's going to be a whole lot of things that we can do with this that we still don't even know yet. Cause it's, it's kind of a, as Jeremy Rubin said, it's, it's more of a primitive. Um, it's a very base new functionality. Um, I think his, his analogy that I actually kind of like was that it's like adding zero into math problems, you know, you can specifically say, oh, well, you can do this math problem and you can do this math problem. But there's actually going to be a whole lot of shit, just the idea of being able to put those commitments in um, that's just not possible without it. And I think that's why a lot of these different proposals are seeking to do this. Yeah, so... So... Go ahead, go ahead John. Actually, let me ask this one question. So basically, what this lets you do is you are able to control with a transaction or you're with a UTXO, you are able to control exactly where that transact, where those UTXOs go in that transaction and when. So it's kind of like pre-scheduling them out and putting restrictions, parameters on them. It's scheduling your exit plan. So, and that's why people say that it's good for a tool like a vault is that you can essentially have it so that a, a UTXO, um, uh, set or a, a single UTXO, even if you get hacked and you lose like a private key that for some reason you have to have online or you want online, you can still have it so that a, a, if you're moving a certain amount, let's say you want to have of one Bitcoin, you want to have 0.1 available to you mm -hmm. within the first month. But then the other 0.9, if you're sending explicitly 0.9 or, or any amount over 0.1, uh, that it goes to an explicit address so that even if that that private key that you have to keep online is hacked you're only you can only be a victim of the point one and you basically have a month with a, a designated exit plan um that you have stipulated beforehand before you even you know, like moved it to this utxo um but again it's not like it it, it seems like even that sort of a model and the idea of a vault in that way, it's not something that you can't really get the security of through multi-sig, in my opinion, through, through a variation of multi-sig or multiple paths and like a taproot transaction. The one interesting 
The one really interesting thing that I think CTV does change is the ability to stipulate the ownership or the path to move specific amounts of a UTXO within a UTXO. Because like right now, I don't think outside of the idea of like lightning where you have like a contract and a time lock and the ability to quote unquote redeem it, um, which is a very different thing from CTV. Um, obviously lightning has a lot more moving parts. A lightning channel has a lot more moving parts and a lot different security profile than something where you just commit CTV to something and then it's just permanent like that until you move it. Um, but CTV allows you to literally break down amounts within a single UTXO and what you can do with those amounts. Um, and that so is an I, interesting I, thing in my opinion. I, I wanna clarify something here. It doesn't, you're, you're being generous if I understand CTV correctly that you're saying you can do separate amounts in one UTXO because you still ultimately have to create more UTXOs to realize yes. that, right? Yes. yes so th do. there's still the debt of the the fee, the future fees, which may or may not be, you know, more or less than they would be if you set it up today. You don't, you won't, you won't have a way to know. This um, is my problem with it. Um, and, and I know we kind of like talked about this a little bit in the telegram, but yes, this is, this is one of the issues that I have with it. Um, or how so, so real, real quick, can, can we very quickly, can we break down the difference between covenants and vaults just for like the laymen who are brand new to these ideas for Bitcoin? Honestly, um, I don't, as far as those terms are used, I don't know what stipulates exactly which one is a covenant and which one is a vault. Like it, it honestly seems like some of these things are interchangeable because like they even like the use of the congestion control transaction and then the the opening up a whole bunch of lightning channels, like all of it really seems to be kind of the same mechanism. It's just kind of how you use it. Um, so let me find like a specific. Let me let me look up the specific definition and see if I can actually pinpoint like what makes one one and not the other. Give me one second. Yeah, that'll give me a good opportunity. I wanted to kind of reframe everything so far with a more kind of primitive perspective. Um, first that, you know, you mention all of these things as features and doing more. And I want to like make sure the audience understands that the mechanism by which you add features into Bitcoin is actually adding rules. In other words, adding new restrictions to Bitcoin. That's and so it's, imp it's important to think and understand this as a dynamic because it can often seem like we're adding new things and enabling new things. And it's not necessarily untrue so much as in order to be able to do that, you have to define new restrictions to Bitcoin. And so you add more rules. And this is the, this is the difference between a soft fork and a hard fork. Like a soft fork is adding more rules to Bitcoin. A hard fork is changing the rules of Bitcoin. And so you're altering existing rules when you do a hard fork. And so all you can really do somewhat safely, and that's really not the right word, is add more rules to Bitcoin. And so covenants in CTV are a way to add new rules to Bitcoin transactions that restrict how you may use them. And through this restriction being something that you can predict and, and rely on happening, 
supposedly, assuming the code works and only does what it says it does and only does what is intended to do, which is another topic, um, then you will have these, these new restrictions for which you can do as Guy is describing, where you can, you know, split up the Bitcoin into future UTXOs, into different amounts, into different paths, into different, you know, addresses, and you can restrict these transactions to only be able to behave in certain ways the next time they are used, and you cannot use them in any other way and other than the ways that you have specified. So I just wanted to mention that dynamic. Another one I wanted to mention is, as Guy alluded to, some of these things are able to be constructed in ways in tools that we already have. So it's not really fair to always mention the things that CTV can do as things that we, we were never able to do before, so much as it's a lot of, a lot of these things are different designs for doing things that we have been able to always do. And so whether these new designs bring advantages to the ways we did them before is debatable. And it might just be more a matter of trade-offs. In other words, I, with a CTV uh, you know, commitment, I might be able to, to decide what my fees will be later. Whereas if I do it with multi-second time locks, I have to decide now. Um, and even time locks have you know, different dynamics in that regard. So what I wanna point out here is that not everything about CTV and potentially nothing if we continue to do more research is unique to CTV. And so we can achieve a lot of these outcomes and use cases in other ways right now with you know, current Bitcoin features and taproot features. And we may even figure out ways to achieve them with no new softworks in the future if we continue to research the power of what we can do with the tools that we have. And further, this is true, becoming more and more true, the more I learn about you know, blockchain um, and a lot of the things people are trying to do with just cryptography and you know, social and, and, and uh, encrypted use cases that there are a lot of things actually that people think you need a blockchain for that you just don't need one for at all that could be done in a more mutual, you know, off-chain way. For example, managing the state of off-chain transactions in Lightning is one that we do without, you know, you don't have to write every transaction into the blockchain. If Lightning didn't exist today, Jeremy may have designed it so that it was all these like commitments we kept making and then every single transaction would unfold later into a billion transactions and we might do everything we can to offset that. So like, Time is on our side when it comes to Bitcoin. The longer we wait to put things that are considered speculative features, the more we may realize that, they, that we didn't need them at all. And that means we're always taking on potential technical debt to add these things in there. And so that's another perspective I wanted to add. And then the final one I wanted to add that came up is this concept of adding zero to math. Um, Keegan wrote a whole you know, rant about this in, in talking about CTV. And I felt I effectively mic dropped him at the end of it because what it, he was portraying Bitcoin as a calculator and, you know, stating how wouldn't it be nice to have zero and calculating things. And I pointed out that Bitcoin is not a calculator, it is not a computer, it is a ledger. And if you zero out things in a ledger, you can break them. <laughs> um, you, you, you know, people want, a consistent history in a ledger. They don't want to zero things out because that changes history. And granted, this isn't exactly what CTV does, uh, does and it's an analogy, but the point is simply that we are not adding a cool new thing. We are not inventing math. We are simply adding new rules for how you can do things and that, and that even the analogy fails.
And so, yeah, I just wanted to yeah. mention all these things. I mean, I it just sounds like another analogy certainly an accounting trick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, guy. You got, this. I would say the analogy certainly fails in the context of like adding zero is so fundamentally important into math. And CTV is by no means that level of significance. Um, uh, and uh, back to your point about, you know, it's only adding new rules. Uh, I would say, I mean, absolutely. That, that's that's what a, necessarily what a soft fork is. It's the only reason it works as a soft fork is because you're further restricting things rather than loosening the rules. You haven't altered any of the rules that already exist. So uh, maybe a good way to frame CTV is that it's kind of, granularizing like further separating out how tiny the grains can be of the rules that we have but i uh, i read the it's aptly um, named that covenant is a name a covenant is a restriction yeah. on how something can be done yeah so the name is apt yeah um and so covenants it looks like vaults are just a covenant so it's kind of like a, a rectangle is a square and a square is not a rectangle so to speak um uh or wait is that the reverse well whatever um the covenants right. <laughs> uh Covenants are uh, basically a way to actually, John, you kind of described it in your little discussion there is that it's a way to have a script in my transaction right now that details what the script in the next transaction can do, like or, or what script I can put in the next one. Um, so it basically allows me to restrict the next time I spend it. And that is essentially what details out what a covenant is. So that is basically, it seems like almost any way that you would use CTV really is kind of a covenant um, because that's kind of what CTV is. Um, but uh, the vault specifically is the way to have two separate transactions. I may have actually just understood the the use case of the vault or, or the the definition of what a vault was versus some other mechanism of stipulating like what you can do with a UTXO. But a vault specifically apparently is that you require two separate transactions to appear and one of them has to be in a block before the other one even becomes valid uh, so that you have to basically issue a transaction signaling that you are going to spend these funds and then some amount of time before the spending of those funds then becomes available or becomes possible. And what this would allow is that if you had cold storage, you could actually have a watch only wallet. It watches for this first transaction. And if you saw that happen and you didn't issue it, you could be like, holy shit. And you could go back and you could actually save yourself from being hacked. So like for an exchange, or somebody who's like a custodian or something, this could be a good way to have like a backup key and something so that you know when you're hacked and you can essentially reverse it before the hacker can actually remove the entire vault, the entire set of funds. But honestly, this sounds like something that I've already like read into of how to put a, you know, a set, like you could just have an additional key with Taproot that, you know, Taproot doesn't even know that, the, that extra key is there like or at least you can't see it on chain um but that you can have a time lock where you know for a month this can't be spent um and then you can have another branch that says if you have these two keys which are my lawyer and john carvalho because i trust john um we can revoke it and send it back to me um so 
even though this is a clever and potentially very interesting way of doing it, I also don't think this is something that we can't have without CTV. Um, but it at least is an interesting, uh, an interesting proposal. Like it's not as if this is a bad idea, you know, vaults. It just adds more like layers of difficulty where you can flick on yourself. And in the event of like, oh my gosh, it, it's being hacked. It's like, okay, well, why would you just like Im impose something into Bitcoin where more of that can happen when there's already enough things that could already go wrong? And, and so, I mean, why, why do we need this now? And I know that like the code is out, but it's not like being pushed in and um, I think Jeremy, I think if I'm not mistaken, at least I've seen other people say it. I haven't seen or heard it from Jeremy specifically, but that the the speedy trial has been pulled like they're not pushing to have this happen anymore. Um, but uh, and, you know, he got the discussion rolling. But the interesting thing is that like a lot of people like like a number of different developers have multiple different proposals that are all very similar to this, like covenants are not. Like, it's not as if we won't get a lot of the, the supposed things that we want with CTV with other things, um, like basically down the line. But I do agree in the sense that, like, there is no rush. Like, I don't see anything in CTV that says, oh, we definitely need this right now. Um, and I think, John, actually, I think it was something that you wrote uh, that I was reading that said, like, literally, we have like so many tools in Bitcoin that we haven't even begun to utilize yet. Like there's so many like options for privacy that we can do with Taproot for aggregation, for, you know, making lightning network more streamlined and better for making more secure things like vaults and, you know, multi-branch um, options. I mean, we just figured out how to do freaking no on-chain footprint uh, uh, token, like stable coins. Um, with within Taproot so, tokens, not stable coins or tokens, whatever. Like, yeah, tokens. Token. I mean, stable coins are just centralized things issued by a centralized entity. Um, uh, is, is stable coins specifically like a word for? Uh, well, it's it causes. There's a lot of argument over terminology, but I would say stable coins certainly imply something stable, which at the moment a token. If it's stable, it, that stability is provided as a service that's trusted. So it's not something that Taro enables. It's something the issuer enables. Sure, sure. Like whatever the token is, it's redeemable from a centralized institution. Um, and, and it's important to use the right words. Time chain and tokens. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. I feel like maybe we can transition a little bit to the FUD portion of this event. Um, and so, I, like, you know, you mentioned that like, you know, there are other proposals that, that do some or all or some portion of things that CDV is proposing. And we have a lot of tools um, that we haven't really fully saturated usage of yet, particularly with Taproot. And, you know, like as far as scaling and, and those kinds of arguments that that's, you know, you also mentioned maybe not in this live stream so far that uh, CTV isn't necessarily a scaling solution at all. Um, and so I want to mention one concern I have, which is, you know, I, I alluded earlier that, that normal Bitcoiners have no real capacity or ability to like audit code like this or audit a proposal like this. All we can really do is, 
find the people that we trust the most, listen to their interpretation of this proposal and decide whether or not we agree with the interpretation. And even that is like, it's like a game of phone, you know, like you don't know if what, where it started is actually the same message as where it ended, or, you know, if, if the interpretation is even correct, or if your understanding of the interpretation is even correct. And so my concern with, with things like softworks that add- I, I just gotta say, I, that's such a good analogy, is that the spread of information through all of this and explanations from devs to, to people, to podcasters, to plebs or whatever is literally a fucking game of phone. Um, uh, that's such a great way to well, explain it. It, it, it turns <laughs> into like virtue signaling in the end. And like you often see this in jokes when like somebody's playing phone and in the movie is like some guy in the middle turns it into a sex joke. You know, and so like the, the, the people control the narrative a little bit each time it gets transferred. And so like, for example, if you're like really good friends with Jeremy, the way you portray this is like, you know, it's it's the best thing since sliced bread. You know, you want to support your friend. You want to show all of the highlights and mm -hmm. you don't even you don't even mention trade offs or concerns. And if you're somebody that doesn't trust Jeremy, well, even I'll say like me, like you only will focus on the negative and you might even go so far as to FUD and cause doubt where you don't even have any evidence of doubt. And so both sides just end up looking like a bunch of, you know, cheerleading assholes. And so I want to be a cheerleading asshole for the other side for a moment <laughs> um, and say that like, I just don't have any confidence in my own ability to assess something like the impact of CTV on Bitcoin. And I've been a Bitcoiner for 10 years and I spend every single waking hour that I'm not, you know, shitting or, or eating, and probably most of those hours too, you know, thinking about and working on Bitcoin stuff. And so if I can't feel confidence and do it, I will never have confidence in any of your guys' ability to do it. And so that means I have to like trust like a small handful of people to like signal to me when it's time to care about stuff like this. And even those people, I'm beginning to not really have confidence in either because like, I just can't really believe that we're gonna have a lot of people that have the capacity to think about like, what happens when you combine Taproot with CTV? What happens if you like, you take every single possible feature and every single permutation of every possible feature and combine it with every single permutation of every single feature? Like, it's like, I'm worried that somebody more creative than me and more creative than Jeremy can figure out a way to combine things to do dangerous things and, and unintended consequences. And so I don't know what happens if you make the wrong kind of covenant or if you, you know, have bad incentives and in how you're deploying covenants. Like say, for example, if you're Coinbase and you start thinking, oh, well, what if I use it for this and this? And what if I use it to like, you know, somehow harm Bitcoin's fungibility or somehow combine it with some other power that I have or leverage that I have because I'm a huge custodian to really encumber people somehow they don't want to be encumbered. And so this is my little FUD portion. And, and I, I think that basically I'm trying to say, I really worry about these permutations and, and the, the problem becoming so exponentially difficult that if we have too many, you know, broad feature Bitcoin softworks that will never be able to properly defend Bitcoin from how they can be used together. So to, to counter that FUD, someone who's a proponent of CTV would probably say, oh, well, this could already be 
it, loopholes could be found in Taproot to do harmful things or any other soft fork before that. Is that not I would say possible? that's certainly not an argument for that's certainly not an argument for more complication. Because I've actually I think I heard Jeremy say I'm like nothing against him with this comment, but I've heard him say, yeah, all these vulnerabilities are already possible as they stand. Not to put right, words that, in his mouth, so, but I've heard so him say. What's the, what's the point lines. of saying that, though? No, like, exactly. words, that's, not an, that's 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 supporting my argument. No, exactly. That is my point. Yeah, like just because, like, this is another thing people are bringing up is like, oh, well, people didn't raise a fuss that when Taproot was activated, nobody was worried about when Taproot. Is it just because, like, if you work for Blockstream or if you're Blockstream's friends, you can get softworks in? And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of what it is. It's not that Blockstream controls Bitcoin. It's that it's that the people that were involved in the last softwork, the tactics and the methods and the signals that they emitted when they added it, let it slip through. And I really think Taproot did slip through as far as from my perspective. And that's not a a criticism of Taproot's design because honestly, again, I am not qualified to audit Taproot's design. I certainly didn't look at the code um, and I'm certainly never going to look at the code from CTV. I'm going to read some write-up that Jeremy wrote about CTV and listen to people I trust explaining CTV, but how many people are actually gonna take the time to try and see how they can use CTV maliciously or Taproot maliciously before implementing it? Not enough. And so how, I mean, how does any normal Bitcoin user even think about that and move forward and, and worry about worrying about the, the consequences of anything that happens to Bitcoin? And how do we- I gave a very simple consensus? process. You know, in the, earlier in the, in, the, in the call, I gave a very simple method. Bitcoin works as you like it right now. If you do not need something different out of Bitcoin, don't change your Bitcoin software. You don't have to be entertaining all of everybody's whims. Like just because people are inventing things and designing things and proposing things, you don't have any obligation to accept any of them. So I want to go back to Taproot here. Like why I mean, you say that it may have slipped through, but with Taproot and Segway and any other soft fork before this, what was it that kind of made consensus, you know, kosher with everybody? And how do we continue that, I guess, quote unquote, safe, proper, um, j j just protocol moving forward with any of this? You know, so there is why, no why, why does this have to be, why does this have to be a soft work anyway, CCV? Uh, so the last question I, I would probably need you to restate, but the rest of them, rest of it, I would say, just because we've had soft works of the pat in the past is not evidence that we've had a protocol or that we've had a sound method or that we have had some way of actually achieving consensus, you know, other than in this emergent way that's totally only observable after it happens. Because honestly, this has been a problem forever. Most people using Bitcoin, other than maybe the first year or two, don't have the grasp required to decide whether or analyze and audit the code of whether a fork is a soft fork or any change to Bitcoin code is actually safe or desirable. 
And so even with SegWit, back then I was fighting against S2X and thinking I was a, you know, a Bitcoin bulldog and trying to like protect it. Meanwhile, a block size increase backdoored. And I was even pretty much, you know, explained that it was happening, but I was so new still. And that was like, I had already been in Bitcoin for years at that point. I was still not really experienced enough to understand and think about that. Even though we were arguing against a hard fork uh, block size increase, we were actually backdooring uh, a, a soft fork increase with the SegWit block addition. And so if I had understood at the time and better, I probably would have fought against that specific detail. But, but I don't know that it would have even mattered because there wouldn't have been enough people to grasp that nuance that, that would have agreed with me. And so it's like all of softworks have been kind of hack backdoored things that probably shouldn't have gotten in as easily as they did. God, do you have any perspective I'll, on this? I'll say I'm I'm not as uh, aggressively against some of this stuff as John is. I don't think. Um, like for instance, like I don't I don't know if I would classify Taproot as being like slipped in, so to speak. Um, like I kind of feel that. Well, let me. It's, it's let an me anticipation. Ask, how many people it's an anticipation you... of a problem that that has a like the ability to aggregate and add like a little bit of extra privacy um i think right, i think it's just a net... is, okay how yeah. many bitcoin users do you think there are actually let's even limit it let's oh, say shit. how many bitcoin know. nodes do you think there are like um, that's actually somewhat measurable right realistically and then which yeah, per... probably 50 to 100,000 okay and which percentage of those do you think actually grasp what taproot is right oh, now today um that actually run a node yeah yeah probably in the low like thousands okay so you're, 10, you're willing to say that roughly one to ten percent to be generous of people that run nodes can grasp taproot and now the amount of people that run nodes compared to the amount of people that actually you would consider just a general bitcoin user now we're going now we've elevated this to what 30 to 100 million or something people Probably. And so, and so you're talking about literally like, you know, decimals, fractions of a percentage of people that grasp taproot, taproot that use Bitcoin. And then even just at most one to 10% that actually even run nodes that grasp it. And then you want to argue that it didn't slip in. Mm. Well, what do you mean by slip in? Are you, are you saying that it's, it wasn't with like, knowledgeable consensus it's, like like because i think i think right like in other words it runners, got in but well even most of the node runners is is debatable what, what is taproot percentage i think most of them know right and whether or not they could explain what taproot is um i think the majority of the quote-unquote network custodians the people who run the software uh run the businesses i think they are aware of taproot and they they at least understand in a brief degree what it is and why it may help. Um, like if you just ask the average Bitcoiner, they'll probably be like, well, I don't really know much about it, but and they'll have a general idea. And what I what I mean by that is that I think they were comfortable with it in the sense that it had been around for a long time. It had been talked about for a really long time. And so 
it felt generally safe. And, and, you know, this is not a security assessment or a political or governance assessment. Like this is all that aside from the reason why most people accepted and it was not a contentious and aggressively like, like thing to fight about um, was because most of the people that were relevant to the discussion, um, because if you're not running a node and you're just holding Bitcoin with a custodian, like, you know, 40 or 90 million people, whatever it is um, that are in Bitcoin that are not part of the quote unquote Bitcoin community, whatever the hell you want to define that as. Um, those people were at least aware of and had become comfortable with Taproot and aware that it had been talked about for a long time, explained for a long time, whether or not they pulled, you know, the, the relevant hours or days worth of study and information about of it, uh, out of it that some of us may have. So I, 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 you know, that last little part that you said is the part that I agree with. In other words, okay. uh, how I would explain it is, you know, it's trust process and it flows from the core of the most trusted technical people. And so, you know, for example, people, I, I joked with someone, they asked, what, what is my take on CTV? And I said, I'll make it simple. I'll consider it when GMAX blesses it. And that's like the, sim and, and, and I, people thought I was being <laughs> ridiculous when I said that, but that really is like, you can't give me a better heuristic than that. I, I challenge anybody to give me a better heuristic than that. Now, granted, I would not simply trust all my decisions with Bitcoin to GMAX. And I also said I would consider it if he blessed it. I didn't say that I would just approve it and trust him. I said I would consider it. But there isn't a better heuristic because that's actually the core of how soft working works in Bitcoin because generally as a human culture, most people by great majority are not developers, not engineers. And so until that changes, until like everybody on earth has engineering, you know, uh, you know, as a, as a senior skill and specialization, then it will always be true that the way that this works is trust propagates from the highest reputation people outward until people, you know, eventually that, that, that the information propagates to enough people to make this safely activate. And that process is highly trusted. And that's what I mean when I say these things slip in is that's also not much different process than apathy. Because if only the people that care are the only ones participating in the process, that propagation ends up being a very short and limited process and only touching a very tiny percentage of people. And then it still gets in. And so that, that's, this is the risk here is that when you have a government's process of any kind, there's mostly going to be a lot of apathy and a lot of you know, lack of participation because there just isn't expertise or even the care there. And so when we go in and, and egotistically go and say, I am here to, I just discovered Bitcoin and I'm here to fix it. Um, you know, like I have a software and now Bitcoin will be better. You're really saying, I want to, take advantage of all the trust of the people from the, from the end, you know, the, the long tail of the trust chain. And I want to put this in their, in their software and people don't have the correct culture of not upgrading. And I, I tell you that I think the only reason that as many nodes support Taproot as they do right now, and I want to reiterate, none of this is a criticism of actual Taproot. This is just observation of the process. But I think what actually happens is when you have people newly downloading Bitcoin for some reason, like on a new computer, or they need to uh, they onboard somebody, 
that's when the latest version of Core gets downloaded, and that's when people start signaling approval. It's not because people say, oh, I need Taproot. Let me install the latest version of Bitcoin. That's like maybe a few hundred people, maybe a few thousand. So the active you know, participation of people actually choosing a soft fork is like minuscule. And the idea that there is some sort of broad consensus or super majority is entire bullshit. So John, for anyone that doesn't know really the lore of Bitcoin, who is GMAX or Greg Maxwell? And why is his word sort of like this Bitcoin core protocol, like precedent of how things should probably be laid out as far as updating Bitcoin? Well, GMAX is just a, you know, a, a highly respected and highly intelligent and experienced developer for Bitcoin. He's actually, as far as I know, no longer developing Bitcoin, at least not under his own name anymore. And so he's not even that good of an example. And, and I use the example to troll Bcashers a little bit because they, they would argue and they used him as a focal point <laughs> as somebody that, con- that controlled Bitcoin. Um, and so I, I, I am trolling a little bit by choosing him, but I'm also being honest. Like if I could pick somebody that I would choose, if I did choose one person, it probably would be him. But there are several other people I would also put in that category. He's just, I just don't want to like, I'm not going to pretend that I can draw out. Here is my exact process for all of the people that I check for when I want to decide whether to upgrade my Bitcoin. I don't upgrade my Bitcoin anymore. So, so GMAX is just a, a Long-time core developer, well-respected. There are several other people like him that I would put in that category. Um, that just the people that have been doing Bitcoin a long time, the people that have defended Bitcoin behind the scenes from people like Gavin and Mike Hearn, and in my opinion, Jeremy Rubin. Um, people that were aggressively trying to make changes into Bitcoin rather than passively or, or with you know, caution. This is your friendly reminder to rate, subscribe, review. They say the best things, they come in threes, like rate, subscribe, review. If you rate it five stars, we can raise the bar. Subscribe so you can stay in tune. And don't forget at the very end to leave a nice review. Something like I love you, Sue. Rate, subscribe, review, please. Thank you. Not your keys, not your coin. If you're in Bitcoin and you haven't heard this, you're hearing it now. The value proposition of Bitcoin is that you are your own bank. You take complete self-custody of this thing and you don't need to trust anyone but yourself. As Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility, and I'm pretty sure that all you Bitcoiner dudes and ladies out there can put on your grown-up pants and take self-custody. Honestly, one of the best options is the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto, because it's just sleek and voluptuous and lovely, and it's user-friendly, and that's what we want out of Bitcoin. We want to be able to store Bitcoin, access it, use it in a way that a toddler can. And that's pretty much what you're getting from the Bitbox O2. You got your cold storage on a hardware device and you can sleep soundly at night knowing that you're your own bank and no one else can come and steal your Bitcoin. 
And that's all possible with Ship Crypto's Bitbox 02. So if you want to put on your big boy and big girl pants and be a good Bitcoiner and actually own your money, as opposed to putting it on an exchange or a bank, let's just call them for what they are, a bank, where they're rehypothecating that Bitcoin. And again, this isn't your Bitcoin. If you put it on there, it's theirs. And so it's not your money they're losing, it's their money they're losing because they're trying to use that Bitcoin to make more money, take the spread, the VIG, if you will. And honestly, they go tits up because they're bad actors and they don't care about you and your wealth because when your Bitcoin's with them, it's no longer yours. So if you want to bypass all of that, Go to shiftcrypto.ch and snag yourself a Bitbox02. Use the promo code BITCOINMADESIMPLE, all caps, no spaces, for 5% off a Bitbox02 from shiftcrypto.ch. Because self-custody is self-sovereignty. Get that Bitcoin in the right hands. Your hands. Yeah, and I just... To give another example, Adam Back had a tweet, or I don't know if it was a thread, but yeah, whenever he tried to actually change Bitcoin when he was new to the scene, and this is a meme in Bitcoin as like Bitcoin maximalists, they like to tout this like, oh, hey, I'm new to Bitcoin and I know how to fix it. And it's just like the same principle. But at the end of the day, it kind of goes back to like the lore and the people that were first a part of this from like the genesis or at least the earlier years of people that understood what Bitcoin is and why it matters and people that remain contributors to it's being birthed. And just like any other like generation, you know, they kind of like fade off and then a new crop of developers come and it's kind of like, well, how do you actually vet these people? But being in Bitcoin, it shouldn't be a vetting process because it's code, it doesn't matter, it's neutral, it's not political. But at the same time, I think it does become that. And the essence of what Bitcoin is, what it's about, and why it's important, why this hard money is supposed to be unfuckable with the digital manifestation of Ron Paul's Dr. No, don't make any changes, don't add any more stuff. I, that's essentially what I think we as true Bitcoiners that understand why this thing is so important is to fix money and money was corrupted because of centralization and just all that stuff that we understand, like the negative externalities of fiat. And so that's why Bitcoin was birthed in the first place. And so my concern is, do we actually need like a betting process or how do we keep instilling and reminding people especially ones that are developing on this and preserving it the importance of like sound money why it is here why we need it why it's so important because i feel like you have this new crop of developers especially coming over from the ethereum side or any other any other blockchain that they see oh there's more activity on all these other chains and there's more creativity and open-mindedness. And if we want Bitcoin to, have, to grow more and have more liquidity and this and that, we need more of those minded people but working on Bitcoin. But again, you might ah. be poison you might be poisoning the well. So um, how do we preserve the essence of like what Bitcoin is and why it's important without it just 
breaking with our tech debt that we keep adding to it. I'll, I'll say like, and I want to hear John's answer on this too. Um, but uh, just to kind of follow up to some of the things that John was saying, because I, I actually don't disagree with like, like I think you have an accurate picture of the unfortunate way that things are. Um, but I think it's kind of the nature of the social sphere, you know, um, and, and I'm sure you're not arguing otherwise, really. Um, but it's kind of the nature of everything, you know, like even when you're talking about like a, a value and culture for liberty, like it's almost always just this strong intransigent minority that essentially keeps it, that, that maintains it. Um, and I think that's necessarily the, necessarily the reality in Bitcoin that it's the, the people who have the opportunity to defend it and the people who care about it most are going to be the ones that find a trust circle to, to attempt to vet uh, any sort of code or alterations that are going to run a node. And the vast majority are just going to be followers. The vast majority are just going to be like, we're using Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the thing. You know, it's not like like a absolute fuck ton of people use Linux, but it's not like everybody checks Linux code or even cares what updates that Linux has as things move forward. Um, and kind of the beauty of Bitcoin is that we have this consensus already on what Bitcoin is, that none of these other software history like, like projects and things actually have. So even the nature and resistance to change that something like IPv4 has, Bitcoin kind of has that, has, has one-upped that in the ability to maintain a set of rules. Um, because ultimately a soft work, like you said, is a restriction, not a loosening of the rules. You know, like it's not, we're talking about going from IPv4 to IPv6. We're literally talking IPv4 to IPv4 with some additional little restriction or stipulation on what is what. Um, so, but I, but I think inevitably it's always going to be like barely a few percent that end up directing where this thing goes. And the idea is that we actually have users and developers and community who care about this thing enough and do hold their own keys and do run nodes that they can actually be a force to stop any potential corporate desire to make it move in one direction or another or to hard fork it when nobody wants to hard fork it um like be the node that prevents the hard fork right that prevents segwit 2x or whatever um but uh basically i think it's inevitable that that's how it turns out to be um and all we really have is a protocol that makes consensus around letting a vigilant intransigent in a vigilant intransigent minority defend from undesirable change we just have a weapon or uh we have a defense mechanism that allows that intransigent minority to be more powerful than it does in the normal social sphere or the nor a normal political or governance situation that's just purely you, you know out in the world we we have a protocol to, to basically rally behind so I want to like do three things. First, I want to amplify the hope that you're trying to put into what I'm saying. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I saw your face while I was like making my rant and I was like, oh fuck, he looks like I just killed his dog or something. Like, my intention was to be uh, explicit or, or, you know, uh, you know, accurate without direct. bias. In yeah, direct, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm not trying to say there's no hope. Obviously, I fucking love Bitcoin. It's like my whole life. Like, I'm not trying to say that I think that this is why Bitcoin is horrible. It's actually why Bitcoin is awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I want to I want to rant about a little bit about that. I want to chill a little bit because it will be appropriate. And I want to answer Phil's question about how to fix it. Um, so, yeah. So first of all, to amplify the hope. Um, yeah. Me saying all those things was just me being direct and accurate and explicit. And, and the reason why is so we can reframe these debates from being about tech and about how, you know, this is like new features and, well, you, you just never want to upgrade Bitcoin. And because all the narratives end up retarded, they end up being like narratives strictly. And so if we understand how Bitcoin actually works and, and respect how the process actually unfolds, then we can all promote a better culture of how to deal with these situations. And so I, I don't think, I don't think there's any issue. I don't think there's any problem with what I explained about how it works. I think it's great that it works that way. It just means that we all need to be aware that it works that way and behave, you know, rationally about that it works that way, which means like things like first rejecting a soft fork that you didn't ask for. Like, oh, this guy has come in and he says he wants to change Bitcoin. I didn't need, I like Bitcoin the way it is. Fuck you. Like, that's a very easy way to handle the situation. And now if this guy somehow convinces somebody you trust that, the, that this feature would actually somehow make your life better, make your, your ability to use Bitcoin more powerful or less expensive or whatever it is that you care about, then you have some sort of obligation to learn about it. And then if you still can't get it in, even though you really want it, now you have to start promoting it. Like it's all okay that it works that way, but we have to respect that it is a trust process. And that means that we need to be good at assessing trust and assess, not just pretending that we're all like actually auditing the code and actually even verifying that the, the Bitcoin we download is even the Bitcoin we think it is. Like we're all trusting all sort of people on the chain. And that's, it's important to like recognize that, it's a, but it's okay. And so the shill portion is me saying, this is why I focus so much with slash tags and the web of trust stuff is because I think generally we're all pretty horrible at measuring trust and keeping track of reputation. And I think that if we had more tools to do this in a way that was more personal, then we could decide how we weight, what we trust, whom we trust, whom we trust with what. Like you can actually start digitizing the different dimensions of trust and to have a much more, you know, uh, intentional and measurable and, you know, uh, powerful way of deciding who and when to trust with what. And so that's why Webs of Trust, I think, is very Web important. Um, Synonym. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you said it, not me. <laughs> um, no, I mean, John, that's why I love what you're doing, because at the end of the day, scaling ultimately should be off chain, but markets in general rely on trust and whether or not there are good or bad actors, that is a part of life. And those bad actors that provide a shitty product send a signal into the market participants saying, Hey, don't use that. And so you're never going to get rid of trust as it is, but what you can keep doing is making sure that your money is trustless as much as possible. And the way to do that is yeah. to- holding your keys is like that's yes. that's why people like think it's so important to hold to, to focus on self custody is because it's the only way you can have representation 
Like if you don't hold your own keys, you don't run your own node, you don't host your own data, like everything that you give up to somebody else is just more trust that you're, you're, you're leaning on. And trust is great, it's very convenient, but you should be doing a better job deciding who and when to trust people. Yeah, well, as much as you can, whatever your level of that is. And of course, the longer people are in Bitcoin, the more they become self-sovereign, whatever. But, but the thing is that these things can be done off-chain with a market of solutions without having to infringe on what is at the core, which is the money. And examples yeah. of, of synonym and anything else are... I mean, it's early, but we, I guess we can still say like leading the way, trying to set an example of solutions. Right. And this is why I focus on these things. I don't want to be the guy saying, I think we could fix Bitcoin if we changed this or added this rule. I'd rather say, okay, I'm going to accept Bitcoin the way it is and see how I can fix all the other problems around Bitcoin. And so that's why synonym, like we don't use blockchains. We, do, we don't try to change Bitcoin. We just try to look for every opportunity we can to actually realize a like post-hyper-Bitcoinization society, a self-sovereign, you know, internet. And we try to focus on what can we do to actually make the Bitcoin world safe and, and powerful so we can opt out of the legacy system. Um, but enough shilling. You had a question in there at the beginning um, where you said, like, how do we deal with the problem of education? How do we deal with the problem of, you know, perpetuating a, a safer culture or a more informed culture around Bitcoin. Yeah. It's a huge problem. Um, do we, do we need a vetting process? Like how do we- No, no, that would be the worst the beginning. Uh, so, I mean, it depends on what you mean. We need a process of being able to like have tools so we can make sure we know who we actually trust. In other words, I need to keep track of who I trust and what metrics I use for trusting people. But I don't necessarily need to share those metrics and I don't need you to influence the weighting of those metrics necessarily. I can choose those things if I want, but I, I should be measuring. I shouldn't be measuring by like how many of my friends like me or how many of my friends agree with me. I, I should be measuring by appropriate things. I shouldn't be measuring by how rich you are. Or I shouldn't be measuring by how many Twitter followers you have or how many likes your tweet has. These are all really, really horrible measures, but it's mostly what people do. Like people mostly correlate trust to how successful you are with your earnings. And that's a very, very crude way to do it. But so many people do it because they don't know any better. They don't have better tools. They don't have better education. So they just say, oh, this guy's rich. He must know what he's talking about. And we have to, we have to evolve past that as humans. Um, so like, yeah, like when we had the Segwit 2X wars, I remember having private conversations with Adam back and several other people involved that were also fighting it. And it was like, we just kept, it kept coming up as a theme. It's like, education is so fucking hard and every time we have a new bull market we have a new like crop of idiots that think they know everything and don't want to even research anything and then what happens is every cycle people like me people like adam well actually adam's kind of insane he doesn't have this problem as much as i do and other people um we get we get like bruised and we get tired and it's like, man, I don't want to fucking explain to one more crop of hundred idiots, thousand idiots on Twitter that are going to tell me that miners are the ones that secure the network and all these other like misconceptions about Bitcoin. And this is why I do the good morning tweets, by the way, is because I hope that <laughs> I can keep, keep referring to those instead of repeating myself over and over because it just becomes like you just end up needing all these tools 
And this is why, like, for example, Eric Boskul writes a book and, you know, we, we have we just create these references because it just keeps happening over and over where there's just always new people that need to be educated and need to be reminded of what's important, why Bitcoin matters. And we have, and thankfully, we every new wave, we also get new educators, but even the educators are imperfect and they take, you know, probably one or two cycles to be good at it. And so it's just this really delayed process. And I forget what the quote is, but it's that quote where the guy is like, you know, it takes 10 more times, 10 times more effort to refute bullshit and to create it. And that's what we're up against is we have shit coiners selling hopes and dreams and selling narratives that conflict with the actual core values of well, fucking humanity, honestly. Um, and, and then the rest of us trying to like say all of the things and be that, you know, be that, that kids don't want to hear and, you know, trying to take all their toys away. And so it's, it's a real uphill battle and we just have to keep persisting. I don't have a perfect answer other than, you know, as we, as we mature and as we get older, we get better at it, but we also get a little bit more sick of doing it. So I don't know. That's why Guy is here. He can just read everything for everybody. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's my job, right? <laughs> I, I really like to get a guy's take of how do we preserve that culture of what Bitcoin is and just just keeping it as simple and secure as possible. Like, how do we move forward with this? How do we preserve like um, what this thing is? Well, luckily Bitcoin's design is on our side in that way. Um, so that's kind of why there's, because, you know, you know, if you think about it, like like a decent analogy is actually like, the United States and the Constitution was that the idea was to make a set of restrictions on the apparatus of the state so that you could preserve the culture, right? So that, and, and obviously, you know, 200 some odd years later, um, <laughs> it's, it's strayed just a bit. Um, and, uh, but the beauty of Bitcoin is that consensus the protocol is consensus, whereas the the constitution is dependent. At the end of the day, the constitution is just a piece of damn paper, right? It's how you interpret it. It's how you think about it. And you can't, the network cannot interpret anything in Bitcoin other than exactly what Bitcoin is. It's math. So if you, if quote unquote, you are not interpreting it the, the correct way, you are a fork. You just, you just leave the network. Um, so our job is to leverage that fact. And I think, I mean, I think the only mechanism is really to, to care, to, to show how much we care about that. You know, like, uh, what is it? Thomas Jefferson or uh, John Locke or somebody. I don't, I don't know who the quote is, but the, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Like, we just have to care more than the people who want to change it um and well this is where bitcoin toxicity comes from like yeah. we used to say oh we're the white blood cells or i'm being a bitcoin bulldog and you know like this is why it's not for everybody i know and it doesn't it's not always the best method but i think we always need a few people that are bitcoin fucking maximalists we need a few people that set the fucking anchor of what bitcoin is and never never sway from it and that's why you know you'll you'll see people like me and people like francis being extra toxic 
when people try to challenge and soften Bitcoin narratives, because we just want people that we want to be those few assholes, you know, that are willing to look like assholes that be like, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. No fucking way. Don't even equivocate. Don't even entertain. Like, this is just, you know, like we need a few people that are just like, what the fuck? You're a fucking idiot. Like, this, just no. Like, some people have to be that way because there are, I think, some people that just won't listen if you're always being nice and, be, and equivocating. They'll, they'll be more entertained. You know, if, if you have two nice guys, which guys you're going to pick one over the other? And the guy that's selling you hopes and dreams sounds a lot nicer than the guy who's trying to equivocate. And so you're just going to keep going to the shit coins. And so maybe I'm wrong and maybe uh, I can be better at, you know, portraying toxic Bitcoin maximalist values. But, you know, I'll leave it to the rest of you. I don't, I don't mind being the asshole and a lot of people not liking me so to kind of at least be one of the few people making this point in that way. No, I totally agree. Um, I totally agree because, you, you know, you need um, a you need like toxic Bitcoin maximalism. I think I think you need people willing to push back. And I think you need people willing to just kind of accommodate and be kind and very diplomatic. Um, you need an array of this because if you pull things too far in any one direction, like a great example that I think we're suffering from now is the idea of let's accommodate everybody's feelings. Well, when you do that, you're accommodating, you necessarily, necessarily are accommodating someone's feelings or perceptions or uh, uh, delusions at the, at the cost of the truth, at the cost of reality. The truth is almost always uncomfortable. Um, like what, like when is the truth not uncomfortable like like jesus christ um like about you know well the truth un is unbending you you can't quit and you can't you, you know, can't you can't like bend it, it and like make it fit like it, it just is right you're right exactly um and so and we can't we just can't really have that in bitcoin bitcoin does not it's simply incompatible with that um so if we're and if I, we so, start focus on being inclusive in the sense that we want everybody to feel great and we don't want to challenge and insult people exactly. or whatever, well then, well they're just going to run up against a brick wall. It's it's like telling somebody that oh no it's okay you don't you don't need to slow down or slam on the brakes or anything and then just letting them run into the side of a mountain. Like, I mean, just like, to pull on the, that stream real quick, what this boils down to is a information war, and this is what the media just throws at the public. Now, thanks with technology, like that information decentralized, people can pick and choose where that's coming from. But that is the war that we are fighting. And what this is, is a battle of narratives and it's astroturfing. And I mean, that's how you know, people of the world and oligarchs are able to get shit done in all these countries and have coups and overthrow them. They appeal to emotion at a grassroots level they'll probably send in like some mole or sleeper cell or whatever and just garner up all the support but twist the narrative by appealing to their emotions to get to the objective and goal that's that infiltrator from the outside actually wants and that is where this bitcoin maximalism white blood cellness needs to come in and is so crucial because we have to use these information war like astroturfing tactics against them whoever is trying to infiltrate Bitcoin for whatever agenda they have, but we need to use those tactics against them for 
you know, what Bitcoin is actually about and make sure that we don't move the Overton window of what Bitcoin is. John, go ahead. So to bring this back to CTV a little bit and like my initial you know, reaction or, you know, and, and I mean that in the kind of rash kind of way, but, you know, my, my, my irritation, you know, it was immediate and it was, it was, a pro, it was from a signal. It was basically when I first saw, you know, Jeremy Rubin, quote, you know, from my own perspective of all people, you know, the guy who suggested, you know, Binance roll back the chain and the guy who is, I think, also suggesting things like removing dust limits and just generally somebody that was always kind of had my eye on a little bit. When he comes in and he's injecting himself into taproot activation debate and talking about his project and then spends two years, you know, aggressively pushing his project and basically lobbying for it. This is like behavior that I had seen before. It's behavior that I recognize, you know, and so and, and, and that, that behavior that I associate with was not with people that actually wanted good things for Bitcoin. So people who, who had some sort of ulterior motive, like people like Mike Hearn and Gavin Andreessen and Jeff Garzik, and it just started felt the same way. And so when I saw him doing the taproot activation behavior, then it caught my attention. I immediately decided I was going to reject whatever, it, whatever the hell it was he was trying to inject. And that's where it all started. And people wanted to like be angry with me be for bringing this up because they felt like I was being primitive. Like, oh, you, you, you're supposed to you know, judge this on ideas, judge this on the technology. It's like, dude, like you're fucking pretending. You don't know what the technology is. You didn't even read a lick of the code. You couldn't audit it even if you did. Like you couldn't do the, you know, measure the ramifications of how this interacts with things and manufacture incentives and fungibility and whatever. Like you're a fucking retard. Like you don't have no idea what you're talking about. But then what happens is, is you get like, that's how I'm behaving. And people are like, oh, look at this guy. He's a fucking jerk. Like, why? Like, I don't like this at all. He makes my he makes my emotions feel shitty. And then Jeremy comes along. Jeremy's very well spoken. He's very nice. He's a very good presenter, you know. And he's he's taking a lot of time to create nice documentation and explain himself. And you contrast these two behaviors, and you're like, okay, if I'm using my emotions as signals, and I'm using my you know comfort level as signals, I'm definitely going to go with Jeremy. This John guy is, is a fucking rash. I don't want to be near him. He's toxic. And so that's where maybe my method fails a little bit, but it's also that person's method of trust that's failing. And I can't fix that by being nice. I can manipulate them by being nice to do what I think is right instead of what Jeremy thinks is right. But that's just not my style. And so- uh, And it's also kind of reinforcing you know, the problem. Because yeah, and you will notice, like, not to be too stereotypical, but like, you will notice this is a trend with people supporting CBV. They happen to be a lot of nice people. They happen to be a lot of people that are going to err on the side of being, you know, caring about emotions or equivocations and just people that are not definitely not toxic. Maximum. Except, made... except Shinobi. Well, let's call them for what they are they're politicians. Maybe, maybe. And Shinobi, I don't know, Shinobi's like a rare case, man. We could have a whole episode just about the interactions <laughs> between me and him. I'm um, kind of surprised honestly, Shinobi supports this. The more I dig into it, I'm surprised that Shinobi is just kind of like a real 
cheerleader for this right now. Well, I don't want to. I, I think, I think that the thing is there. Shinobi's not here to represent himself. So no, I'll, that's I'll that's true. I'm not. Right. I don't mean to shit on Shinobi. I love Shinobi. Um, but I, I, I it does surprise me. I kind of want to like talk to him about it because I'm just because I'm curious. But so anyway. I, well, my I I don't have a problem sharing my own judgment of Shinobi, which is in private he will be reasonable with you, and that's why I like him. But in yeah. public, like in a public forum. He will never change something he says. And so that makes me worry that maybe there was a moment where he decided, maybe, maybe it's even wrong to say he never changed. I can think of maybe times he's adjusted, but he will never adjust for you. He has to do it on his own. He doesn't and want to so, backtrack. Yeah. And so maybe there was, maybe he, he took Perhaps. his position immaturely, you know, uh, pre, prematurely, sorry, um, and on, on CTV and just decided I'm going to stick with it until somebody refutes me. But even if you do refute him and make him think twice about it, or it's going to have to be like fucking irrefutable. And he's not going to say, I agree with you. He's going to wait till it's all over and be like, yeah, this is, and now that I look at it and I thought about it, I have come to this conclusion and that's the, well, the only way I think he's going to change. And I don't, maybe he is right though. So I, I don't know, like maybe we're wrong and he's right. And CTV is awesome and there's no problem. And Jeremy is just not that tactful in the way that I need him to be tactful, to trust him. And that's all it is. I don't know. Well, but to, I have, this is how I do things. To, to speak on that, like Shinobi's a smart guy and you see with smart people that really know, the the facts i guess of how this works especially like at the code level you can apply that to multiple or other a, a variety of things because uh whatever you might think of a uh, uh, um taleb um you know big brain knows, knows a lot and had very base takes but then once you know you know the coup comes along covid 911 it's basically him using his intellect to rationalize why he should go with these mandates and you see him wearing masks doing videos and like you know face shields and everything and it's like maybe people get too wrapped up in i not their ego but just hey i've come so far and i have all these based uh principles and they are factual and they are proven correct and so i'm going to use my understanding of things that i'm already you know, well informed on and that have been proven to be like correct because I have a good track record. So I'll just use like my big brain power and intellect to try to justify why I'm, I am doing this because somehow I'm smart enough to justify that even though it might look ridiculous and people might disagree with me, I'm the smart one. So I can rationalize that what I'm doing is correct. And I think you can apply that same thing to Bitcoin or anything else where someone's a subject matter expert and they don't want to go back on their original take on something. And maybe that's what we're seeing, whether it's with Shinobi or anyone else, like the difference between like those big brain, like autistic people, like they get so wrapped up in like what the code is and how it can't really influence because it's a soft fork. It's not going to, you know, fuck things up and send everything out of control. So nothing can possibly happen. And I think they just get so wrapped up in the technicalities of that where they don't zoom out and figure out or realize what consequences could come before that. And they, again, just use that intellect to rationalize that they're correct. 
I think as humans are all a little bit fallible in that way, including myself, including you and Guy. Like it's hard to be wrong. No, fuck it's you. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's hard to take criticism. Like being wrong, correcting yourself, it hurts. It's like you know that's why we feel it. That's why we feel pain. That's why we feel depression. It's because our body is trying to tell us to stop doing whatever the hell we just did, um, and that's why we make other people feel bad and make cause pain in other people is because we want them to stop doing what they just did. Like. It's just a mechanism that we have to deal with. Um, and, I, and I think that I, I don't want anybody to think that my, um, my aggression or confidence or arrogance or toxicity is just like evidence that I think I'm infallible. It's just, I, I, this is my way of, of portraying things and, my, and it's partially just style. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think Shinobi is a little bit like that, that as well. And I feel bad that I, I want to apologize to him right now for even talking to him about him when he's not here. Um, it's not fair. Um, I do as well. Maybe- it was just an example. Like, I think people can just look at different examples of like what people do and, and why in the specific case and rationalize why they come to their rationality. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe we can use, we've been ranting for a while now about, you know, conceptual things what but we i think we skipped something and to, since this is supposed to be about ctv i want to give uh, guy the spotlight again to talk about his fud and and the, the problem that he says that you know he's 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 thinking about that he's wondering about with ctv um and i think this involves the kind of you know the the the, the feed debt concept yeah yeah so this is the thing and it's because uh I, I, fi- I found it interesting that multiple people were talking about this and multiple pe- people that I kind of were, have been trusting for uh, explanations on how CTV, or- CTV works up to the point of, you know, then digging into the you know, Bitcoin Optech and like whatever, you know, all the other resources there are about it. But that this was a scalability solution. That this was a way to make sure everybody else, everybody can hold their own keys and that you can onboard massive amounts of people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and basically the general idea of this is this specific method is called a congestion control transaction, but it's essentially everything that you do with commitments works the same way um, to a degree. Um, and you, you even said it, John, just a little bit ago or uh, towards the beginning that, you know, you, you basically have the guarantee that it's going to this UTXO, but it's, you still don't have this UTXO. Like I don't, I don't really own the UTXO that something is sent to. Like if one Bitcoin is sent out to like committing to five different people's addresses, I still have to redeem it to that address before then it's behind my key and I can do what I want with it. So it still requires two transactions to get it to the point that I'm sending it out. And herein lies the problem is that, and, and the more I thought about it, the more it felt like uh, a, in the context of like how it affects block space, it's like a giant door in. Like, like, like if, you, if you have like a party or something that's going on, you have a limited amount of people that can fit in. You have this massive door where people can get in but then you have these really tiny doors, like this really tiny door where everybody has to squeeze out. And this is kind of how CTV or, or the idea of congestion control affects blockchain, like data on the time chain itself, like in the block space. 
because essentially an exchange can right now they can aggregate transactions and you know they can send out to a thousand different users all at once and each one of them has a utxo and they can batch this and they can save a lot on fees but what ctv would allow them to do is send it out to one utxo with all of the commitments to sending it out to that those thousand additional utxos built into it's the like transaction. a transaction grenade right it's like a transaction it grenade. is it like, is like you put like a you bunch of transactions inside and it has and to explode. blow up <laughs> yes it's a transaction bomb um and but it's a form of debt it's a form of block space debt essentially and it's in one direction so it's kind of like i, I don't mind like a lot of aggregation options are great but if they're symmetrical you know taproot allows you to put in a lots of different branches of, uh, you know, multi-sigs and time locks and different uh, paths like uh, into a single script and hide it behind a public key. But you only ever have to unroll one. If you only use one of them, all the other ones are irrelevant and they just never get posted to the chain. It's not stuff that you definitely have to post to the chain later. Um, so it's aggregation or uh, compression in both sides, it's not got this like heavy, heavy asymmetry that something like CTV has, where if you commit to a thousand uh, uh, UTXOs, then you have to unroll it to those 1000 UTXOs. But the thing is, is that think about just the basic economic incentives here, if this becomes used by exchanges, why wouldn't you use this even when block space is freely available? Because CTV, like it, it increasingly feels like the, the Bcash shit show of the emergency difficulty adjustment, where the difficulty only adjusted quickly in one direction. And then it got horribly gamed until they literally had to fork it out again because the literally the thing was just going to be a shit show forever if they didn't fix it. It kind of feels like this for block space is that like the economic incentive, like, CTV is a whole lot better. Uh, like they, basically the, the exchange pays no fees for withdrawing. It's a whole hell of a lot better. And, and in fact, the user is now, it, it's basically a way to offload the fees onto the user because uh, they can withdraw to 10,000. They could draw, withdraw to a million people. In fact, they could do the exact opposite. They could just suddenly go, Coinbase could just be like, everybody needs to hold their own keys and put all this into uh, CTV transactions because now they can just offload all of this responsibility to the users and actually push. And who wouldn't be okay with that? Like all the Bitcoin maxis would, would be like, yeah, fucking finally Coinbase, bunch of dog shit assholes are finally encouraging you to hold your own keys. But then they could just put in one block, you know, something that has to unroll to a million different UTXOs and then it's just their problem. And they can have a tree so much so high that like even the way it's unrolled is that you have to have like the size of the data that you have to basically unlock to get to your commitment. If you're one of the first ones to unroll it, you actually have to pay for like five transactions instead of just one. So it's like not so simple as um, because it's like a, it's a hash tree that you have to kind of walk down. So if nobody else has redeemed any parts of the tree that you can lean on, well, then you have to expose a whole bunch of it, which means that you're paying five times the fee that you otherwise would have. And 
you have to kind of keep doing this for the whole 1 million UTXOs. But think about this in the economic thing is that, is that like, so they're saying that, oh, you could do this when fees are high and then people could start to release it when fees get low. That sounds great, but the economics don't line up that that's how you would use it because you would still want to use it when fees are low. Exchanges would still want the user to, pay, to have the onus of paying the fee. And then you're actually encouraging the fees to get higher later because we have all this debt of these UTXOs we have to redeem. So let's say we do this for like four months, five months, and all the exchanges switch over to CTV. Um, and blocks are basically empty for those four or five months because everything that was taken up block space is now behind a CTV. So we have like 0.1 megabyte blocks for like six months. It's like, oh, great. Now we have to start unraveling this as people actually use their coins or uh, let's say the Bitcoin price runs up and now people want to actually spend it or get a loan against it or whatever it is. Suddenly there's a lot of activity and people want to redeem it. Well, now congestion gets really, really bad on the chain because we're unrolling these millions of transactions that we could have done for the last six months, but instead we postponed because it was cheaper. It was cheaper for the exchanges. So now everything's bad and fees are super high. What are you going to do? We're all going to use CTV. So now the, the actual desire and the economic incentive to use it gets worse when the problem is the worst. And we could literally get to a point where we just have so much shit to unroll. We never unroll it. Like it just, well, it, that, this is what you're making me think about is I like to think of Bitcoin sometimes like it's, I think it's best to think of Bitcoin in, in a state of being perpetually full blocks. And I think to think, okay, like how will a network behave when the blocks are full? Because we should probably just always treat the blocks as if they're virtually full. So imagine now everything you just said in that state, like, okay, blocks are always full and the fees are something like $500, $2,000 to make a transaction. And so now you, like you said, you have even more people wanting to compress transactions into these CTV constructions. And then we end up having like this, basically this time bomb essentially where everybody keeps compressing transactions into the future and because there's no block space. And so what happens if like the amount of block space debt we have, like people, there's like, if it gets to be tremendous, like we already have enough normal transactions that now say they're all CTV transactions on chain. And now we have like, you know, 10 times more people just waiting to unfold their CTV transactions than there is block size. And so the effective block size is something like, you know, 20 megabytes um, instead of, you know, four. And like, what, what do we do? Like, how do like what what what? How does the game play out in that situation? And do we want to create that situation? Mm -hmm. So it opens up the conversation of should we increase block size at that point? Doesn't it? I think that that's an inevitable question. I think yeah, you know, we'll always end up at that point. But the you know the question is like, do we want to create a situation where we have block size debt? Yeah. Well, yeah. I will. This whole thing opens we have it, up. We would end up with actual, a debt bubble and a credit crisis. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Just no, the block space is, version of it. This is this is the whole trap door and the game theory of how you implement this thing and what you can do with it. This opens up the trap door of you move from like the tech of it to now you're forcing like us three to look at the monetary policy and how that is being manipulated. And because what this is is just central planning again. And just making it more complicated than it needs to be. 
and skewing people's incentive in the economy of how to actually use this thing. And I already feel like I'm out of my league to even be talking about this. I feel like I'm worried that, okay, now, if Jeremy was here, he'd probably correct us on a couple things. And Has Jeremy considered that, though? I don't know if anybody considers the thing. Like, in other words, this this probably things even we're not considering that it's probably things nobody has considered. That's my concern with this stuff is that, you know, all it takes is just a little attention. And all of a sudden, just a little bit of attention from three idiots on this call raises interesting right. <laughs> questions. Now what yeah. happens if you get three really smart guys actually dedicating time to this? You know, like, I just, I don't think that we're, we have the expertise on this planet to properly assess things like this. And that's, that's been my whole message the whole time. Well, that's like and the so, yeah, I, Hayek argument, like the, the, the wall, like hitting the wall of like not having enough information to make a decision, right? Guy, you can probably speak more on this. Guy, and I think if you're right, man, like you should apply for that bug bounty because I consider, <laughs> I, I think there's, there's a 5.5 Bitcoin bug bounty. I was looking at it today. I was looking at the the, 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 the whole charts that Jeremy has and I was like thinking, hmm, I could probably figure out a way to break this. And, then, <laughs> and, and I was like, but then I was thinking, all right, if I figure out an incentive problem or game theory problem with this, would they actually reward me? And I said, nah, they won't. And so I didn't bother looking at it anymore. But I honestly think something like this qualifies, like us pointing out, you pointing out that like, if, if somebody used this in an irresponsible way, that it could cause a really bad state, blockchain state or state of the economy, then I think that's worth you know saying, this is a bug, sorry, no. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do the episode, I'll do a little guy's take on it and, um, and maybe post it <laughs> just to see, just to see about the bug bounty. <laughs> That's got a hey, funny 5.5 BTC that. ain't nothing. I mean, fuck, I can't, I can't, I can't not, you know, <laughs> like, what are they going to do? Say no. Okay. <laughs> awesome. I think we've beaten this horse to death as much as possible. Almost if anyone else has anything. We have to just add. begun to scratch the surface of beating it to death, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> for this and for this, uh, for today probably <laughs> admittedly if i were more well researched and i had dug deeper into all the arguments for ctv and all the use cases i'm sure i could rant more about fud and concerns and you know theoretical incentive problems but yeah that's why i tried to keep my side of this this call about you know primitive stuff and signaling and trust stuff because that's something i think about more and know a little bit more about and more comfortable with and that's why i insisted to have guy on this call because i knew he would provide a more technical take and a more you know reasonable take than myself at least and so i i I appreciate both of you taking the time yeah and i think more important of all these decisions can be broken down to first principles what they are identify the problem and is this actually a solution? And is this even a problem? And if it's not a problem, then why is it being pushed in the first place? And what are the incentives of those people that are trying that's to- That's the thing, I don't need any of this, man. Like that's, uh, yeah. I said that before, like I'm happy with Bitcoin. I have so many toys to play with. Uh, I don't see the problem, you know, like where we have so, like I could build shit at Synonym with what we have for 10 more years. Like, so leave me, leave my Bitcoin alone. Let me figure out how to, I, we haven't even begun to think about what maybe we could leverage Taproot for like at Synonym, I mean. Like, so it's like, I have Lightning, I have, you know, Web3 for Bitcoin stuff with slash tags. Like, 
I don't fucking need more toys. I don't need Bitcoin broke. The blocks aren't full. You know, give me, if you want to fix Bitcoin or change Bitcoin, give me an optimization, make it use less space, make it simpler, make it more streamlined, make more people be able to use it and stop caring about adding more features. And if you want to have features on the docket, be prepared to wait 10 years. (laughs) Guy? No, I kind of agree. Um, That's, uh, I think there's so much, there's so much here that we, haven't even begun to realize how we can utilize it um uh that the idea of like rushing the next thing just because we have something that might could be lined up for the next thing just seems kind of i mean i guess just reckless i I don't know it just seems pointless uh, in a sense um uh, particularly with something where I, i don't see anything despite the fact that I, I do, I absolutely do say things that could be benefits um, and uh, could be nice to have. I don't see anything that really like, we just can't get this mechanism in some other form. And there's so much other, there's so many other things to do. Like, like I would rather like developers right now, just kind of focus on if they could break anything now, like spend a year and just seeing if, if we could make something stop working, like the whole thing that we focus on is trying to hurt Bitcoin and uh, uh, find that problem and then fix that without like doing some specific soft work update or some new op code. Uh, like, and you know, not that there aren't things to actually tackle again in the future and that we don't want some maybe additional op codes or whatever in the next few years, but we should be taking our time. There's, there is no rush on any of this. Time is A, on our side, and B, critical for finding problems. Um, we, we need to be thinking adversarially about these, even things that don't have quote-unquote bugs in them. Like, you can't break the opcode. Well, that doesn't mean that the opcode is going to be good for the game theory or the, the economic incentives of using the Bitcoin uh, chain. Um, which, you know, we just kind of detailed out what could literally be a potentially serious problem with CTV um, with any sort of commitment, um, uh, being able to uh, commit to future transactions, actually. Um, so uh, um, I'm... Uh, you know, this, I mean, this problem was brought up regularly with lightning channels, pointing yeah. out that like to, to settle, like this is all, and, and nobody ever had like an awesome answer for it. It's a problem still today. Like you can't prepay for your lightning closing transaction. And so because you can't do that, you don't even know for sure if you'll be able to close it if you want, when you want to. And you don't know what the price will be when you do. And that's just the price. That's the trade-off of the design. And at least with Lightning, you know, all of the activity is off-chain. And if Lightning breaks, you know, only the people that used it are going to be affected. But it's different when you do things on-chain. You know, CTV transactions will be on-chain. And if these things start exploding into the mempool and there's a problem with how they explode, everybody is affected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to keep digging into it for a little while, but um, I'm kind of pretty hard down. And, and like we said earlier, Jeremy has, is not trying to push the uh, speedy trial anymore, but I'm just kind of like, nah, on ctv now um like i don't i don't see 
I still want to learn more about it. And I still want to learn about more about covenants and commitments and all that stuff, because I'm sure there's something there and there's still plenty that I do not understand. Um, but I, I would not be supporting anything, anything like that anytime soon. Um, and I don't, and I honestly, I don't care who it's from. Like, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be supporting it right now. Yeah, well, I'll see you guys in three or six months when, you know, they finally given up on shilling CTV and it's become <laughs> shilling the other. Point. It'll be like, all right, now it's time to show APO. Now it's time to show Bit 300. Let's, we, need, we need sidechain. Sidechains fix everything. Like, uh, it's never going to end. You know, like the devs are always going like, to be looking for ways to be creative. We just have to, like, have a good culture for how to, you know, deal with it. Agreed. Agreed. Gentlemen, this was a very, very constructive, I think, valuable conversation. And I hope it's going to add value even to the future that people can look back. It's documented and just take this perspective. And th this is what I try to do on the show now, like th this network, Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network and my show, A Boy Named Sue, is say the quiet parts out loud, ask the hard questions that nobody is willing to. Again, whatever their incentive might be. But this is how we actually come to consensus. This is the town square. This is the shit that needs to be hashed out. This is us being toxic, maximalist, white blood cells. These are the hard questions that need to be answered in the face of those that don't want to answer them. And so I think this was super valuable, super critical, and it needs to be presented in the public face, whether they like it or not, because this is how we keep Bitcoin to its core what it is. So guys, make sure you John, share the link with me when this when this video is posted and somewhere online. Make sure you give it to me because I'm just I'm I'm so tired of talking about this. I'm just gonna be like, here, man, just wa watch this. Leave me alone. Enjoy your fucking CTV. I have work to do. I will do it. I will. Uh, with that said, John, where can people find you and what you're doing at Synonym and any any fun things coming up soon or? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Again, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is John Carvalho. I am CEO at Synonym. Uh, our website is synonym.to. We are trying to build the whole ecosystem of, you know, post-hyper-Bitcoinization applications and protocols. Um, we just released BlockTank, which is our, like, lightning service provider. Um, this is a place where you can buy lightning network connections and configure them to be however you want. And the, so the software is also, also open source, so you can run your own BlockTank service if you want to. Um, this summer, we will probably be releasing the slash tags SDK, which I'm sure that uh, Guy will be excited about, um, and as well as some kind of demo aspects of that. Hell I would yeah. say prob probably more towards the end of the summer, we'll release our mobile wallet, which will include you know, demonstrations of how to apply slash tags and other new technologies that we're going to be incorporating, as well as Lightning and Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the plan. I'll be at a lot of conferences this year, all in Europe, not the US. So I hope to see a lot of you guys at various Bitcoin conferences in, in Europe. And that's all I have, synonym.to. And thanks for your time. Awesome. Thank you, John. Guy, what about you? Uh, yeah, just uh, check out Bitcoin Audible. Um, that's my uh, podcast. I got, uh, and keep an ear out for audiobooks. I got like 13 or so under my belt and four <laughs> more on the way. Uh, so if you if you have listened to any Bitcoin audiobooks, you may have heard the voice, um, the voice of Bitcoin, uh, the, the voice of Bitcoin, and uh, 
yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm slowly but surely making working my way back into video. I'm actually was a filmmaker originally. That's where I started before I went back into tech and then found Bitcoin and I'm kind of going all the way full circle and all the way back around. So I'm getting back into film and uh, hope to have some things to share on that front soon. Uh, some more uh, really fun, high quality meme crafting as well. I got one that is slowly finding its way towards its uh, conclusion uh, to share, which share with you guys soon. So uh, follow me on uh, that, uh, the guy Swan, Swan with two N's on Twitter. Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed this. It's going to be super valuable. And with that said, as always, dudes and dudettes, sat stackers, and kin, remember to own your failure because God knows our so-called leaders do not. This is a boy named Sue on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Adios until next time. Peace out. Later. Look at you. You made it to the end. Wowza. What a conversation. Yeah. The less the less that we mess with Bitcoin, the better. Remember what this thing is. It's money. Don't fuck with the money. <laughs> and the best way to not fuck with your money is to keep it safe in cold storage. So one last shout out to our sponsors, the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. Links in the description. Go grab it. 5% off with the promo code Bitcoin made simple, but as always, my name is Phil Gibson, aka Mr. Sue. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a friend, family member, stranger. Give it a rating as well, rate, subscribe, review, all the good stuff. And until next time, remember, own your failure, because God knows our so-called leaders don't. My name is Phil. I'm the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Adios, people.